You're listening to In Technology, your source for trends about security, sustainability, and technology. We're using more and more technologies, more and more complex code, and we have just basically more and more vulnerabilities every day. And every year, it's worse than the year before. Hi, and welcome to In Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison. With me, as always, is Camille Morehart, my co-host. Today, our guest is Modi Kanyas. He is VP of Cyber Strategy and Alliances of Nanolock. He's a veteran of the Israeli Security Forces. He's also a colonel in reserve with lengthy experience in cybersecurity, counterintelligence, and insider's threat. He's joining us today to discuss his views of the future cybersecurity landscape, which is, in a word, chaotic. So welcome to the podcast, Modi. Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for hosting me here. Well, let's just jump right into it. As I said there in your introduction, we're going to talk about the future cybersecurity landscape. So can you share your views on what we should be expecting? The beautiful world that we live in now, the cell phones that we have, the computers, the databases, and the future that we even imagine all depends on different technologies that we use. We're starting to think about AI doctors that will make operations. And, you know, we're already having self-driving cars. So it's all just a bunch of technologies that we see today and more in our future. But the thing is that when you think about it, those technologies are built out of something that I see as, as very scary, which is a bunch of new and old software and new and legacy hardware. What this means is that all of this data that's been going on in processes and in future computers is a bunch of code that people program that are filled with vulnerabilities. When we think about the, the movies that at least I saw as a child and thinking about AI monsters as Skynet or the metrics. My point of view is that that will never happen because the programming that people do nowadays and the software and the hardware are so complex that they will just all be filled with vulnerabilities and the whole technology world will just collapse. Wow. You mean you think that all of these technologies that are doing self-driving cars and running databases and all kinds of stuff are just going to fail, like have an epic failure because of the amount of vulnerabilities? It's everything that we have and own right now that isn't physical. Everything somewhere is connected to some cloud somewhere. When we have more coding lines, I'm talking about massive programming, we have more vulnerabilities. So every day we just open whatever podcast or newspaper and we hear and read about more vulnerabilities of more problems in different systems. And it's only the beginning because systems are getting more complex. We're using more code. We're using more cloud. How does this play out then? It's a pretty pessimistic view of the future if I, if I do say so myself, but obviously things are all connected. And uh, as you do point out, they all have some element of code. The problem is not only the vulnerabilities. The problem is, of course, adversaries, attackers. 
but not only cyber crime attackers, but also cyber attackers of governments. People have been already used cyber in acts of war, but not only in war, but they use it every day, governments and adversaries in order to make money. What happens nowadays in the world of programming, and this is where things get complicated, is that I think that people don't take too much attention to cybersecurity. What runs the world nowadays is just making good profit. So a good product is a product that sells good. It doesn't matter if it has cyber abilities at all. And I'll say more than that. In the past years, we even found cybersecurity companies had adversaries taking advantage of them. If money is driving the world and saving money is part of the atmosphere of the world, it means that we will have more and more things move to the cloud because there's no need for operation people to deploy software. We can do that as a SaaS, like software as a service. And therefore, it opens something that is even more complicated, agile programming, sending away whatever uh, software or version that is best to the date, but not best for the world. When I mean best of the world, I mean a secure code and it doesn't matter if it's a computer game, if it's the next future PLC that will be in the cloud, or even social media, anything, newspapers. I'm still interested in figuring out when Tom asks you like how you think it's going to play out. Are you looking at a gradual increase in attacks as we've seen them in across different industries, you know, targeted attacks? Or are you thinking entire systems are going to collapse within economies or regions, like the taking down of, of a grid somewhere or some giant failure of all autonomous vehicles. So I'll tell you that the speed of the technology now and the speed of cybersecurity regulations and products is just a huge gap. So people don't or countries don't tend to change regulations, but adversaries change every day. So I don't know exactly when the last time the U.S., as a country changed their regulations. But I can tell you that I don't see effect on ransomware in the US. So something isn't going the right path. So the way it will happen, I'm sure that it will start from some war, but in some cases, maybe it even started now with uh, Russia and Ukraine. The fighting itself is in Ukrainian land, but what's happening in cyberspace in the US and also in Europe is absolutely crazy. You see that in cyber insurance, see that in companies, and the fact that now uh, manufacturers became number one targets of ransomware and cyber attacks. So that's the beginning. It's already happening. In future conflicts, it could be China or even North Korea, where there'll be bigger vulnerabilities because of bigger software and, and more will of countries to use their weapons other than physically attacking something, it will be all a cyber war. And once a vulnerability is being used and software or dangerous software is, is being applied, it just goes anywhere. So why do I say governments? Because when North Korea or the Chinese government work on attacking whoever it is, they go after the biggest vendors, Microsoft and Apple, 
and they try to find vulnerabilities in, I'd say, major systems that we all rely on. So it's one thing thinking about uh, a car, but it's another thing thinking about Microsoft Windows. It's all just there, and it's all just a bunch of software that is always connected also to hardware. It seems like the future picture that you're pointing out is one where there will be vulnerabilities and then people, for whatever reason, whether it's for economic reasons or for just sowing chaos into societies like warfare, they can use those vulnerabilities. But once a vulnerability is used once, especially because we're talking about software, it's then exposed. And presumably the software is then hardened to whatever that vulnerability is, and then it becomes a search for the next vulnerability. So at some point, while yes, there's chaos in the moment, or there's, you know, economic loss in the moment, it feels as though the awareness will be raised, the vulnerabilities that are out there will be utilized and then fixed. Do you agree with that? Do you think this is just a learning process we have to go through to get better and healthier? Or is it something different? It gets more complex because it's not only patching the patches or the vulnerabilities and fixing that. There are still factories or production lines that use Windows XP that Windows stopped supporting years ago. So it's happening everywhere. It's happening in hospitals. It's happening in production lines. Yeah. It's always the connection between legacy and new, and it's always legacy software and legacy hardware. So let's talk about just the coding from, from our point of view. When programmers write code, they use open source. So they don't exactly know what part of code they're taking from where. And those are all embedded softwares and different solutions that we live upon. So it's hard to say. I'm just saying that the problem is more complex. Yeah. You're talking about kind of a horizontal problem if there's a platform or code that goes into all kinds of different systems that could then be affected. It kind of reminds me of like Y2K, which was a different kind of a problem, but it affected almost everything. And yet somehow it turned out okay. Why is this one different? I mean, it's not new that technology is always ahead of regulations they usually follow. So why is this so different? Is it just that we're so interconnected and we're so reliant on these systems now? So we're using more and more technologies, more and more complex code, more and more stronger computers. Quantum computer of tomorrow is dealing with encryption of today. So it's all going there. We rely more on technology and we have just basically more and more vulnerabilities every day. And every year it's worse than the year before. And the amount of cyber attacks, if it's from states or from cybercrime are always increasing. So there's a true business there and a true value from their point of view to work and to attack the systems or the grid or, or whatever. And, and it comes from the combine of software, hardware, and as I said before, human beings, people that make mistakes, people that sometimes are negligent, people that are somehow manipulated into doing things without them even understanding what they're doing. And when you take that factor, and let's call it an insider, and put it in the environment of legacy and new software, hardware, this is the tipping point that I see that getting all together and putting 
the world of cyber into a great danger. Yeah. So, Modi, you talk about the insider. And I think most people, when they hear the term an insider threat, I think most people sort of jump to the person who has nefarious intent, right? They're they're trying to cause damage or whatever, exploited vulnerability, whatever it happens to be. But there's a whole spectrum of insider threats from ignorance all the way through ill intent. And so how do you protect against that? As a business, there's no obviously silver bullet or any single approach that can solve this, but what are some ideas based on your understanding of where the future threats are, all of your past experiences, what can companies do? So nowadays, it's hard to find even software products or cybersecurity products that deal with the insider threat because it's complicated. And part of the problem that we see today is organizations trust and they have to trust their workers and therefore give them permissions usually to everything that they need. It won't be unheard of that every new um, employer will get full access to, uh, to some kind of drive of a company. And that's given almost automatically to every worker. And there really aren't strong enough systems in order to change that. In the world of, of IT, I have to say it's, it's more complicated because computers that are connected are always exchanging information. And changing information and data means that they have to use permissions to read and write data on their memories. And, you know, the writing ability is exactly what an adversary would do to change configurations or to make a computer do something other than what it's supposed to be doing. In the OT world, which I'd say now doesn't have almost any cybersecurity at all, everything is open there. So machines or devices in the OT world are not really exchanging information between one or the other. In most cases, we can turn them into a read-only device that only does what it's supposed to do. But the writing ability on the device itself will be prevented. That solution is just another word of saying zero trust. And make sure that we have good cybersecurity solutions that people already thought about them before. And to implement them every place possible. Starting from my point of view, in the OT world, there is no reason in the world that an RTU, that a PLC, and even uh, robots that are always depending on some kind of RTU, industrial computers. No reason in the world that they shouldn't be locked and have efficient cybersecurity prevention layer that will just cut or destroy the adversaries or even the insider's ability to, to change configurations or to upload a software that could be a ransomware or to do even worse things. Now that you've spent some time sort of describing how to architect for it, I wonder if you could just take a moment and explain in your words what zero trust architecture is or what zero trust is. So from my point of view, and you know, a lot of papers about that, zero trust just means changing the way that we give privileges to others, starting from zero. Nobody has authorization to the data that they're not supposed to see. In the OT world, it's easier because there's hardly information that is moving from one area to the other. 
it's doable. There are products and companies who do that. Hey, Moti, I'm curious. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned regulations, and we really haven't touched on that yet. Where do you think regulations fit into your picture for the future cybersecurity landscape? Nowadays, according to the U.S. regulation, you don't need to lock level one devices. What you do need is to have a firewall. You need to have policies that are not digitalized. And all you kind of need to have in critical infrastructure is some kind of visibility tool. Well, visibility tool is always a too late solution for a problem that you had. I'd say that it's worse. If you have a production line and a visibility tool and you stop production, you don't need a cybersecurity product who will tell you that. You'll know that you stopped production. So what we have there is lack of relevant regulation for the whole world, I'll say, for OT cybersecurity. There is one country, small country, that changed that regulation about a few months ago, and that's Singapore. Singapore are the first in the world to say nowadays, and I think it has to start by next July, that their critical infrastructure must enable zero trust mechanism again on OT devices, which means making sure that they are not writable and that only a person who goes through a full system with multi-factor authentication and some other features there in the zero trust to get full ability of changing configurations on the level one products devices. Thank you for joining us today, sharing your views on the future and what we can do to protect ourselves. Happy to be here. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation. Intel Corporation.